This program is brought to you by Preserve Gold, the number one precious metals IRA provider. Call 855-962-3322. A strong word is making the headlines. President Joe Biden calling Communist China's leader Xi Jinping a dictator. Beijing describing the use of the word as extremely absurd and irresponsible. The war of words comes just days after Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Xi in Beijing, where he called for mutual respect. Will U.S.-China ties take another turn for the worse? Is President Biden speaking too freely when the cameras are off? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A powerful buzzword is kicking up a storm. The term is dictator. And it's how U.S. President Joe Biden described Communist leader Xi Jinping during a campaign event in California. The rare candor comes just two days after America's chief diplomat visited Beijing, hoping to encourage a thaw in U.S.-China relations. Now Beijing hitting back fast and angry at the remark. Will this unravel the modest progress achieved over the weekend? Let's dive in. President Joe Biden referred to Xi Jinping as a dictator at an event on Tuesday. And Beijing's response is a furious one. On Wednesday, its foreign ministry listed what it called three serious offenses linked to the term's use. Contradicting basic facts, violating China's political dignity, and political provoking. So what's Beijing's ire all about? It goes back a day earlier, when President Biden made the remark off-camera at a fundraiser in California. Speaking about the alleged Chinese spy balloon incident earlier this year, Biden uttered, quote, the reason why Xi Jinping got very upset in terms of when I shot that balloon down with two boxcars full of spy equipment in it is he didn't know it was there. He then described it as a great embarrassment for dictators. As a side note, this was the first time Biden publicly disclosed details of the balloon incident. The contents of the craft were previously classified. The White House didn't immediately clarify Biden's dictator remark. But here are some basic facts about Xi. Xi Jinping has become China's most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. In March, he secured a precedent-breaking third term as China's head of state. Back in 2018, Xi removed the two-term limit on Chinese leadership, allowing him to remain in power for life. He also presides over a one-party system that many human rights groups and Western leaders call a dictatorship. That's over its lacking an independent judiciary or free media. Critics of Xi and his party are also censored online and even risk detention offline. Reacting to Biden's dictator label for Xi, an expert from China said, quote, Biden's big mouth is a loose cannon. And chiming in from Moscow, a Kremlin spokesman described the remarks as incomprehensible. These are very contradictory manifestations of U.S. foreign policy, which speak of a large element of unpredictability. Grant Newsham, senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy, had this to say. To me, it's the troubling part is not calling Xi Jinping a dictator. Uh, it's simply that it uh, does indicate a lack of discipline, a lack of clear thinking. More on Newsham's remark coming up on well, China in Focus's second half. Biden's remark comes just as top U.S. diplomat Antony Blinken finished a high-profile visit to Beijing and said the balloon incident should be a closed chapter. 
Though Biden said Blinken did a good job working towards a thaw in U.S.-China ties, the future of that relationship now seems to be in question. Chinese soldiers stationed 100 miles from Florida. That possibility is on the horizon, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal. It said China is in talks with Cuba to set up a military training facility there. Officials say that could give Beijing the chance to station troops there and tap electronic communications from the U.S. The report cited anonymous sources. Here's the Pentagon's response. So I've seen the reports that you mentioned and the one from this morning. I don't have anything to add to that. Um, I have I have nothing further to, to comment or, or provide to you at this time. She added Beijing is looking to expand its military presence in the Western Hemisphere and that the U.S. is monitoring it. Singh also noted she's confident the U.S. has enough resources to counter any possible future actions from Beijing. Again, we don't see conflict with China. Um, competition is something that the secretary and this administration has spoken openly about, but we feel very confident in our capabilities. The White House has confirmed China already has a spying facility in Cuba, just a hundred miles from Florida. The Chinese installation could allow Beijing to tap electronic communications across most of the southeastern U.S., an area home to several military bases. The U.S. Central Command headquarters is in Tampa, Florida, while North Carolina is home to the country's largest military base. What's more, former intelligence officials say it could help Beijing identify targets to strike in the U.S. in the event of a conflict. According to the Wall Street Journal report, U.S. officials are concerned that a full Chinese base in Cuba is part of Beijing's Project 141, aiming to expand China's global network of military bases. On another note, the outlet also reported on suspicions that Chinese tech giants Huawei and ZTE might be involved having helped China spy on the U.S. from Cuba. That's after U.S. intelligence revealed that workers from both companies visited the spy base in Cuba. The report cited unnamed sources. NTD cannot independently confirm the story. In the face of tensions between Washington and Beijing, Tesla is eyeing manufacturing bases elsewhere. CEO Elon Musk said he plans to make significant investments in India. The announcement following a meeting between Musk and Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi in New York. Let's take a look. Tesla chief Elon Musk sat down with Indian leader Narendra Modi in New York on Tuesday. And it seems the talks could be the prelude to something big. Speaking afterwards, Musk said Modi was pushing the carmaker to make a significant investment in the country. And he said a deal could come soon. Well, we, we, we don't want to jump the gun. On, we don't want to jump the gun on an announcement, but I think it's uh, it's um, it's quite likely that we'll that, that there will be a significant uh, investment and relationship with India in the future. Musk's investments might not be limited to electric cars. India's foreign ministry later tweeted that Modi had also raised the space industry. A Reuters source said the country is now looking to allow some U.S. firms to collaborate with Indian companies in that market. That could include Musk's SpaceX. India wants its private space launch firms to expand their share of the launch market fivefold within a decade. Musk said he was hopeful his Starlink satellite internet service had a future in India too. And we're also hopefully looking forward to bringing Starlink to India as well. So, you know, the Starlink internet, uh, which I think can be um, incredibly helpful for. Um, sort of remote or rural villages where they perhaps either may have no access to internet or the internet is very expensive and slow. 
As for EVs, Musk said last month that Tesla would probably pick a site for a new factory by the end of this year. At the time, he said India was an interesting location. Some analysts think it could appeal to Tesla at a time when US companies are trying to reduce their reliance on China amid tensions between Washington and Beijing. Global supply chains are seeing a shift in their geography. A new report outlines the change amid uncertainty about the global economy. The countries most likely to benefit from the shift, India, Vietnam, Thailand, Mexico and the U.S., among others. Many of them have attracted more foreign investment in the last few years. On the other hand, the report notes that amid the supply chain restructuring, China is expected to take the biggest hit. Three men convicted in a U.S. trial on Tuesday. That's for their roles in helping Beijing force Chinese expats living in the U.S. back to China. It's part of a Chinese regime effort called Operation Fox Hunt. The three convicted are ex-NYPD officer Michael McMahon and two Chinese citizens living in the U.S., Chen Chongying and Zhu Yong. All were accused of taking part in scare tactics aimed at a former Chinese official. He was living quietly in New Jersey, and Beijing wanted him back. McMahon was found guilty of acting as an illegal agent of the Chinese regime, conspiracy to commit interstate stalking, and interstate stalking. He faces up to 20 years in prison. The Justice Department says two other defendants have pleaded guilty in connection with the harassment and intimidation campaign. A sentencing date has not yet been set. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz met Chinese Premier Li Qiang in Berlin Tuesday. Trade, climate change and the war in Ukraine all on the agenda for the first face-to-face summit in nearly five years. But as Li's convoy arrived, a protest over China's human rights record kicked off outside. Here's more. My parents are Falun Gong practitioners. They were illegally imprisoned in China on May the 12th only because of their belief in Falun Gong, a Chinese meditation practice with an ancient Buddhist philosophy based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. The persecution is not based on any laws. Everything happens illegally. Germany is keen to maintain good ties with China, its biggest trading partner, despite concern over Beijing's growing assertiveness and refusal to criticize Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Schultz says he wants to avoid over-reliance on Chinese trade. It's an approach he calls de-risking while rejecting the idea of decoupling from China. This is Li's first foreign trip since taking office. However, it comes as the European Union seeks to reduce its dependence on China, and Germany itself is expected to toughen its stance on its top trade partner. It's also reviewing the use of telecom equipment made by Chinese company Huawei in its digital infrastructure. The same day as the diplomatic meeting, Germany's intelligence agency said spy services from China and Russia are ramping up their targeting of the country. Yet the agency's strongest warning was reserved for China, describing it as the greatest threat in terms of economic and scientific espionage. The harsh assessment of Chinese spy activities came at a curious time, with Chancellor Olaf Scholz hosting Chinese Premier Li Qiang that day for talks meant to renew relations between the two countries. Over in Europe, Italy is taking aim at a Chinese investor, stopping it from taking control of an Italian company. Sinochem is the largest investor of Italian tire maker Pirelli, holding nearly two-fifths stake in the company. The Italian prime minister voiced concerns last week about the microchip technology used in a certain smart tire made by Pirelli and how it could fall in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. 
The Italian government announced a series of restrictions on the Chinese investor, including its right to appoint its chief executive and decide on mergers and acquisitions for Pirelli. On top of that, Rome told Pirelli to reject any requests from Beijing, especially about information sharing. Pirelli's cyber tire uses chip technology to collect vehicle data. Officials say any transfer of this technology could threaten Italian national security. Pirelli is also the executive supplier for Formula One. High-end automakers like Ferrari, Porsche and BMW are among its clients. Beyond that, Rome is also assessing whether to renew its partnership with Beijing on its Belt and Road Initiative, China's global infrastructure and investment megaproject. Italy is the only group of seven nations to have joined the initiative. Over 100 worker-driven protests in just half a year. A new tally says factory strikes in China have surged to a seven-year high. That as the world's second-largest economy remains plagued by the three-year COVID-19 curbs. Factories closed, wages unpaid, layoffs on the rise. Labor disputes are flaring up across China. According to Hong Kong-based rights group China Labor Bulletin, more than 140 factory strikes broke out in the country over the first five months of the year, the highest since the same period in 2016. Most of them took place in China's manufacturing hub, Guangdong province, as well as the Yangtze River Delta, and involved factories making products from garments and shoes to printed circuit boards. In a recent case, construction workers rallied in the capital city of Guangdong on June 15th. They protested wages they said were owed by a Chinese state-owned builder. One day earlier, a similar strike broke out at a furniture retailer in Shanghai. An analyst weighed in on why mass strikes are happening so frequently in China. The surface causes include dropping factory orders, lower wages and worsening labor conditions. But there's a deeper reason behind it, the CCP's dictatorial rule. Beijing is upping both internal repression and global expansion, targeting Taiwan and confronting the world. These have led to a mass exodus of international trade capital from China. Unlike in Western societies, unions play a minimal role in communist China. And the remaining ones are largely under Beijing's control. Meanwhile, blue-collar workers face risks when defending their rights. In early June, police swooped in soon after employees at a Guangdong electrical factory went on strike. Later that month, authorities quelled a wage-driven protest at a logistics company in east-central Chengdu. In the event of such labor disputes, the CCP will definitely resort to so-called stability maintenance. The most direct means is to arrest them or put them in jail. Under the Chinese communist system, workers are not allowed to form any kind of powerful organized resistance. Analysts say factory strikes may become a political headache for the party, one that could damage the already struggling economy. Coming up, fierce backlash in Beijing, aimed at U.S. President Biden's candid comment about leader Xi Jinping. Joe Biden was just in California to attend a fundraiser, where he described China's Communist Party head as a dictator. Will U.S.-China ties take another turn for the worse because of it? On the other hand, a closer look at Xi's record, president for life, concentration camps, and the suppression of free speech, all under his reign. Does Biden's remark fit the bill? We hear from Grant Newsham, retired Marine Colonel and Senior Fellow with the Center for Security Policy, for details. More on that after the break here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Barely two days after high-stakes diplomatic talks in Beijing, U.S. President Joe Biden has compared Xi Jinping to a dictator. Will the comment send U.S.-China ties spiraling? Chinese officials are outraged by Biden's label, but what's the true picture of communist China under Xi's reign? We sat down with Grant Newsham, retired Marine colonel and senior fellow with the Center for Security Policy, for more. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Well, thank you. Glad to be here. So President Biden kind of used an interesting term. He called Xi Jinping a dictator during a speech in California. Why do you think that is? Well, it's one, it's true, but that's beside the point. It's, uh, I think it reflects, unfortunately, really a lack of discipline uh, on the part of the president that we, we've seen before. Uh, the, this is not something that you say uh, if you're the president. Uh, it does reflect some muddled thinking. Uh, you know, just we've seen it recently. You know, he's gone around saying that the uh, dictator, uh, Xi Jinping, didn't know about the spy balloon, for instance. And everyone on earth knows that he did. So he's trying to do a favor for the Chinese. It's probably not going to work, but he thinks that Look, if we cover this up, if we don't make a big deal of it, uh, he even referred to it as a silly, a silly balloon, you know, shouldn't get in the way of our relationship. And then in front of a different audience, he calls, calls Xi Jinping a dictator. And what does he think that is going to do uh, to the whatever relationship you've got? It's just guaranteed to infuriate the Chinese. And as I said, it reflects a muddled thinking, lack of discipline. To me, it's the troubling part is not calling Xi Jinping a dictator. Uh, it's simply that it uh, does indicate a lack of discipline, a lack of clear thinking. And this was supposed to be the, uh, the new guys. And this administration came in and said, the adults are back in charge. But my goodness, this is some pretty basic things that you don't do if you are a president, if you're conducting diplomacy. Uh, so I was disappointed to hear it. I wasn't entirely uh, surprised, unfortunately. And Grant, in terms of the language of using the word dictator, you mentioned that that is true when it comes to Xi Jinping. So why is that? How does he qualify as that? Uh, there's absolutely nothing consensual about the Chinese Communist Party and uh, its rule of China. Uh, it's probably even a little worse than a dictatorship. I think we're into totalitarianism. Uh, but it, look it up in the, the dictionary and you'll see that yeah, this applies to uh, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. It's the nature of Chinese of communist parties everywhere. Uh, so this really isn't a surprise. But, you know, if you're going to say these things, you have to be careful about when you say them, where you say them. And there's a certain braggadocio that you see. If you're going to talk tough, you better have something to back it up. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem uh, like President Biden has it. Uh, I remember hearing some years ago from a Marine gunnery sergeant who said, you know, look, if you go into a bar, there's going to be some guy who's noisy and yelling and claiming he's going to do this and that. Don't worry about him. Worry about that quiet guy in the corner who's not saying anything. And this really does apply here. Uh, with, unfortunately, it's the president who has to watch what he says. It does seem in terms of that the public has been wanting to know that intelligence, but it hasn't been released so that Secretary of State Antony Blinken could make this trip to Beijing that was kind of on the grounds of stabilizing relations. And then we have President Biden's comment that comes right after Blinken's trip. How might we expect China to react action-wise? 
I don't think this is going to really affect Chinese behavior uh, one bit. You know, they will continue to apply pressure to Taiwan, to Japan, to the Philippines, you know, lock down the South China Sea, uh, declare the Taiwan Strait is, in fact, their, their, their waters. Uh, cyber uh, espionage, cyber attacks are going to continue uh, full, you know, just full bore. Uh, nothing much is going to change. So that, say, is one of the ironies. You know, they're, of course, going to scream and yell. But what they might get out of it is they might get the Americans to back off even more, give them some more concessions to kind of make up for it, show, you know, we didn't really mean it. It was just a slip of the tongue. What sort of concessions? Well, maybe not applying... Um, sanctions uh, on China that otherwise would be applied, maybe actually relaxing some of the existing sanctions, uh, maybe not making an issue of Chinese human rights, uh, not asking where the, uh, the COVID virus actually came from, not insisting on a, an investigation into that. So they may get some concessions uh, if they scream loud enough as the Americans are embarrassed and you know, w seem uh, willing to do almost anything uh, to they say stabilize the relationship, but the U.S. government seems to think that only the Americans can stabilize the relationship. Chinese behavior will continue as it always has, I think. What must the U.S. do now? You have got to stop funding uh, your main rival, your main adversary, and by their own words, our main enemy. Uh, that's a, a prerequisite. If you don't do what you can't expect to succeed, uh, we're living in a dreamland, this idea that through dialogue, negotiations, we can work something out with the Chinese. It's almost as if we think that uh, they don't understand what they're doing. Uh, well, they understand very well. They're just as smart as us uh, and maybe more ruthless, but that's not surprising. Uh, we ought to realize this. And as I said, uh, recognize that we are actually at war, even if it is not a shooting war just yet. Fentanyl killed 70,000 Americans last year, many of them of uh, males of sort of military service age. That's the equivalent of taking a couple of divisions of troops off the battlefield. Uh, if you don't get a handle on that and you think that 70,000 dead Americans doesn't matter, and that's just the dead ones, not the ones who've been injured uh, by it. Uh, if you think that isn't an, an issue really getting tough on uh, on China about, uh, then really I have uh, very slim hopes for our, uh, how we're going to end up in the future. Grant Newsham, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Glad to be here. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow. What we're trying to do is a, a new approach to following around presidential candidates, trying to get a little idea of what they're like as people. We are here at Joni Ernst's Roast and Ride event, where there are going to be eight presidential candidates on the Republican side appearing. The first guy we're going to follow uh, is Vivek Ramaswamy. How are you, my friend? I'm very good. How are you good doing? To see you again. Yeah. Hey. Oh, he's just a little bit better than I am. I'm the first millennial ever to run for the GOP nomination for U.S. president. If America goes in the direction it's going, where am I going to go and move to? We have a decade we're working with. Otherwise, we're gone. 20 years from now, forget that. Yeah. It's game over. Maybe that's one time to join SpaceX. <laughs> Get the heck out of here. <laughs> right. no, I don't believe in escape. I don't either. I think that we don't have to look to outer space for meaning. We have to look within. That is big.
Premieres on Epic TV and NTD on June 23rd at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time.